everybody, and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. And this is our love series, our iconic love stories of classic Hollywood. And of course, where would a classic, who doesn't belong there, but who does? This is a definite definite do. It sure ain't like Elizabeth Taylor and Eddie Fisher. We have Bogey and Bacall. They are our love story of this podcast, and I am doing it with my dear friend, soul sister, pal mine, Miss April, VVA, new name April. <laughs> April VVA Whitaker. Yes. And I call them Maypril, as in J-Lo, Brangelina, etc. A new love couple for the ages. I'm so thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome, April. Congratulations on your wedding. You looked so beautiful. Remember, I couldn't find you. I'm like, she, she unfriended me. What did I do? I'm looking all over for your wedding pictures. It took me like two weeks to find you, (laughs) that you had already changed your name your husband's name and you look so pretty i loved your hair and i loved your whole gown was it chilly there you know it actually wasn't it it was like low 70s which was nice perfection they got married in vegas and you got married in the little chapel that betty grable and who else got married in Oh, goodness. Uh, Betty Grable, Judy Garland, Jaja Gabor. Jaja. Yeah, it's a, she, she's the ultimate love story, isn't she? Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm in love with myself. We should just do ultimate love story, Jaja. <laughs> that, that would be a very convoluted mess with eight or nine husbands. Ah, how about her? And, she said, didn't she, that George Saunders was her, or Sanders was her she loved him the most, but he was just not easy. And she even set him up. She wanted him to marry Magda. That's what I heard, because he was just so um, in the dumps. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. No, he he was in the dumps, and Magda had had a stroke. Oh, dear. And she was, you know... She was having a hard time getting along. She was in the dumps, too, and Jaja thought they'd be great together. Of course, it didn't work. I don't think it lasted a year, right? No. Yeah. They, they actually had moved out of separate residences within, like, two weeks. Yeah, I can't imagine. You know, you can't do something like that. And there, I think he really loved Jaja, too. Okay, so today is our Bogey and Bacall Day, and uh, we'll give a little background on each before we get to when they meet. And of course, you want to start or you want me to start? Oh, I I can start. Good. Good with starting. Um, So I guess we should start with Bogey because he's a bit older. 25 Uh, years, yes. Yeah, Bogey was born on December 25th, 1899 in New York. Um, His parents were Belmont DeForest Bogart and Maude Humphrey, which is obviously how he got his name. And both of his parents were kind of like we don't really want kids right they're both uh, professionals the the mother was a professional yeah as well. and the, which of course is extremely unique for 1899 new york 
Yeah, what was she? Um, she was an advertising or something like that? Yeah, she was a commercial illustrator. And daddy was a, a big time doctor. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, just were like, oh, we're not really, you know, going to sit there and focus on our children, uh, which I, isn't entirely uncommon for the era either. Did they have like a maid or somebody or a nanny? Yeah, they would just have, you would have nanny raise your kids and then you would connect with your kids when they were adults, basically. That was kind of the parenting mindset in Victorian America. Did he have siblings? I always thought he was an only child. Nope. He had um, a sister and I can't think of her name, but he did have a sister. Was she younger or older than him? She was younger. And uh, they just, they really, I mean, they didn't even, like, his parents didn't favor his sister either. I mean, they would just sit there and they were like, hey, you know, we're not going to do a whole lot. Uh, but Maude, Humphrey's mom, did like dressing her as little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> uh, and there are many pictures of Humphrey with his little curls, and he's wearing, like, his little sailor suit. He was very adorable as a child. You got to give him that. He was a real cute kid. Maximilian. Cute. He, he he definitely was cute, um, but he would say in her mom that she would show absolutely no physical affection with them. And when she was pleased with something that um, Humphrey had done, she would just like pat his shoulder. Good dog. Good dog. Woof, woof, like yeah, basically. Yeah. That's so sad, but you know, that's how they were raised, I guess. You know, you didn't, especially if you were a little bit wealthy. She was a suffragette as well. So I'm sure she was quite busy going to the meetings and doing all that other stuff. And the yeah. father, I read something that he was a morphine addict or something. Yeah, they had a bunch of issues. I mean, they weren't really a happy marriage, which obviously influences Humphrey's, you know, life too. Um, but just... Very privileged childhood, but very, you know, very cold childhood. And Lauren would recall Humphrey having a hard time talking about his childhood once they were together. I don't blame him. And also, I read that the parents in a combination, think of this, 1899, they were making 70 grand, which would be how much today? Just like megabucks. Oh, that would, 70 grand would be well over a million dollars. That's what I thought. Between the two of them. I mean, that would have been a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, They did not want him to become an actor, correct? They didn't. Acting um, in the upper crust of society, like, you know, the Bogarts were in, was looked at as a very kind of Oh, you do that because you're gross and cheap and low you know, class about to thing. walk the streets. Yeah, low class. Um, they, you know, had wanted him to become a doctor like his dad. Uh, but Humphrey was very, he was very difficult in school. He got expelled uh, from uh Phillips Academy, which was a boarding school, uh, because he had pushed the headmaster into a rabbit pond. 
uh, or into Rabbit Pond. Sorry, that's what it's called. Um, and he was also apparently smoking and drinking on school grounds. How old so he would he be then? Then he would have been eighteen, oh. seventeen, eighteen. So he was basically kicked out at a time when he'd be leaving anyway. Yep, and he was just like I'm. He could not respect authority. I guess you could say so. Humphrey went into the Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went in the spring of 1918, so that would have been during World War One. Mm-hmm. So weird. I don't think of him as like being that old, but he is. But I know, right? Uh, So he, you know, goes into the Navy and he's going to make a difference. He recalled thinking that going to war was great, you know, because of his age, because he got to go to Paris and there were, you know, sexy French girls. So he enjoyed his time as a sailor, except he ended up getting his scar and his lisp during his naval stint. Stories... So a story, there's a bunch of different stories about how we got it. Uh, what I think happened was he got injured. I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory, I guess. I just think he got injured somehow, possibly in a fight, uh, possibly while he was a prisoner. Uh, but he got injured somehow, ended up getting hurt. So, but there's like, 12 different stories as to how he got his scar in his lisp. So but we his do know scar was on his lip and that's what made him lisp. So he has a scar on his face and then he also has uh, something on it. He got injured somehow on his mouth and that's what gives him his lisp. Pork chop, apple sauce. Yep, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. Um, but like I said, there's there's a bunch of differing stories on how he got it. But we do at least know that he was injured during his time as a sailor. Yes. Uh, he goes into acting around 1921-ish. Uh, he starts stage acting. And like you said, his parents aren't really, you know, a fan of that. Uh, and he's also part of the Coast Guard Reserve, which he would say a member of the Coast Guard Reserve really up until he died. Um, and he's, you know, acting in New York. He gets some pretty positive, you know, reviews for his Broadway shows. And he ends up going to Hollywood in 1930. Uh, which is shortly after, obviously, the Wall Street crash of 1929. Mm-hmm. And he's with Fox. He gets $750 a week, which is, of course, a huge salary for 1930. It really is. And one of the first people he meets is Spencer Tracy, and Spencer starts calling him Bogey. And, of course, that name sticks. Were they, yeah, they were, oh yes, because I know that I'm getting ahead of myself, but that um, Spencer visited him often when he was dying. So yes, they were friends throughout their careers. Yeah, he, he becomes super friendly with Spencer. He also becomes friendly with Leslie Howard. Um, of course, Leslie Howard is probably most well known today for playing Ashley in Gone with the Wind, yes. although... Yeah, Ashley was a completely different personality than Leslie was in real life. He was a little devil. He was an imp. 
He he was. He Leslie Howard is a very interesting person. We need good biography on him. Uh, maybe a listener can write a biography on him. That yes, would be great. please do. But they did you see the wonderful biography TCM did on him? Yes, I, I did. TCM biographies are usually uh, usually pretty good. They did a great one on Mary Astor and her scandal as well. That was really really good. You know um, who else does good biographies quite often are actually the old Playboy biographies on women. They made the definitive Clara Bow documentary. Oh, I have to check that out. Uh, Sharon Stone narrates it, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, those are great. Um, But... Um, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, I guess you could say, uh, he doesn't, uh, Bogey doesn't do so hot in Hollywood. He actually goes back to the stage mm-hmm. for a brief time, um, in 1934, but by 1936, he's back in Hollywood. Um, you know, most people tend to think of Humphrey Bogart as, you know, Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon, you know, kind of playing like a shady anti-hero, I guess you could say. Uh, But when he was starting out after around his second go in Hollywood, he was actually usually cast as a villain, uh, played a lot of gangsters. One of my favorite movies that he was in was actually Three on a Match, where he plays that. Oh, I do too. And he plays a very small part. Yes, but he makes a very big uh, splash. You notice him. Exactly. He He's definitely, he's going. Um, but of course, he eventually morphs away from always playing the bad guy and villain and kind of does the anti-hero right. parts. Um, in 1926, he married actress Helen Mankin. She was a famous stage actress, but they were divorced within a year. Mm-hmm. Um. So 1920s, there's a lot of overlap with Humphrey and his wives, although Lauren Bacall would claim she was the only one he ever had a secret affair with. But there's always there. He's never single. I will just say that he always overlaps from what I've read. He pretty much. Yeah, he, he goes from one to one to one. He doesn't like to be alone kind of guy. Yeah, and he's never alone starting, you know, with his first marriage with Helen Minkin in 1926. I mean, he's never alone. His second wife is Mary Phillips. She is also an actress, really, really pretty woman. Um, And they are married until 1937. So they were married for nine years. Well, you know what I've read? I've read different, different things on that. And he said that marriage was so horrible. Somebody said that marriage was so horrible. That's how he became an alcoholic. I don't buy that. I believe I also, you know, heard that he cheated on Mayo with Mary. So um, Mary, uh, she's not really a big, big star, but you will know her from um, the Gene Tierney movie. What's that? Uh, the one where she's she, you know, is evil, Ellen Barron. Oh, um, leave her uh, to heaven. She plays yeah. Helen as uh, she plays Ellen's mom, who says Ellen's problem is she loves too much. She loved her father too much. Ew, creepy. But that's true. So that's who. If you're trying to think of who she is, uh, this is her in the forties. 
Yeah, and I mean, I have to agree with you. I I wouldn't. I don't think his marriage with Mary was that horrible. I mean, they ended up becoming friends, mm-hmm. um, and she actually did wish Lauren and bogey good luck and she was happy to see that he was with somebody who finally made him happy mm-hmm. so I, I but I do think his drinking probably did start while he was with Mary but I wouldn't put that on Mary if that yeah I don't sense. think it's fair to put it on Mary I've never read that that he put it on her before but something you know when I was looking up stuff but that was the first time that he was so miserable with Mary you know, she made him an alcoholic. You know, she didn't make him an alcoholic. You know, he liked to drink and he drank too much. And that was that. Exactly. And I mean, you know, he, um, they did spend a few years apart because he wanted to move to Hollywood when he moved to Hollywood again, you know, in 36. Yes. You know, and she actually had stayed in New York because she wanted to focus on her stage career. I read something like they had a sort of open marriage as well. Don't that ask, don't tell. I wouldn't be surprised Don't by. ask, don't tell kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just don't let me know about it. Don't flaunt it. Yeah, and that I, I wouldn't be overly surprised by. Um, separation. Def- definitely. A few years separation on there. Um, he starts going while he is still technically legally married to Mary. He starts going with Mayo. Is it Method? Method. And he meets Methow. her in the wonderful movie Marked Women. And I love Mayo. I just have to say it. I've seen her do wonderful work. She was great and vulnerable in that. She was wonderful in virtue, the mind reader. Any little part I ever saw Mayo do, she was really very good. And I talked to a woman who wrote about her, and I have to put the podcast out. But she, you know, Mayo was a huge, she started acting as a child. She was a huge uh, theater actor. And um, yes, he met her and they fell in love on Marked Women with starring Betty Davis. And it was really a good movie. And that was the beginning of their love story. Yes. And his marriage with Mayo is very complicated, to say the least. As you said, she was extremely successful. Uh, but Bogey said, well, my marriages with my past two wives didn't work out because they focused on their careers. And Mayo gives up acting for Bogey in yeah. 1940. Uh, and they quickly become known around town as the battling Bogarts. He, uh, he and- makes that T-shirt for her called Sluggy. Didn't he name, didn't he name the Santana Sluggy? Because she really did. She was one of those people. His, he loved to sail. That was from his sailor time and whatever. And he had this beautiful boat, the Santana. And I don't know if it was called Sluggy for a while, or at least he did make the teacher. Yeah, no, it, it was called Sluggy. He, he named his boat Sluggy after her. I believe and they loved each other. He liked her. She was very bright. She was very witty. Um, she, but she also got very drunk. She was a tiny little woman and I don't think it took a lot to get her really drunk and Bogart would get drunk with her. And, um, 
Yeah, they would smash whiskey bottles over each other's heads. How romantic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know at one dinner party, Gloria Stewart would recall that Mayo was extremely mad and she pulled out a gun and threatened to shoot Bogey. Uh, we do know also that she stabbed Bogey in the shoulder. But, of course, he's not innocent either. And a lot of people would remember seeing her walking around. She had bruises all over her and face. And black eyes. Right. So, you know, it was sort of, you know, such a dysfunctional relationship. But they were both drunk. And, you know, and she really did like being home and taking care of him and taking care of the dogs and doing things like that. But the alcoholism got a hold of her. And I'm sorry, he was an alcoholic, too. And but she she was the one. And I think he got the sympathy for this, saying that he was an abused husband by male. Yeah, um, he he definitely was more sympathetic. He was more sympathetic with the public, too. Um, I don't think in his personal life he put as much on Mayo as the press did. No. Um, You know, he he definitely could recognize his faults. But they just they weren't a good match. But like you said, she could be a very nice and friendly person when she was sober, but when she was drunk, she was just extremely difficult, and he was extremely difficult. Well, they got kicked out. I I read in one of the books that they got kicked out of a lot of Hollywood establishments before, you know, like, you got to leave because they were so famous for their brawls that, you know, they had had a few brawls at these joints, and it's like, you know, you guys can't come here. You got, you know, go fight somewhere else. So they they were banished from a few hot spots. Yeah, no, they 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 definitely were infamous in Hollywood. Um, So, of course, 1943 comes around. He's still married to Mayo and he begins to film to have and have not with unknown Lauren Bacall, which I guess this means we should go into Lauren Bacall's life. Right. The backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. Hers is a hers is a lot easier to get through. Yeah. Lauren was actually born Betty Joan Persky on February 16th, 1924, also in New York. She was the only child of, yeah, yeah, she was the only child of Natalie, who, a secretary who would legally change her name to Bacall eventually, and William Persky, who was a salesman, Uh, the family was pretty average, but Lauren had some rich uncles who put her through the Highland Manor boarding school for girls. And then when she entered high school, she went to the Julia Rickman High School in Manhattan. So her family, her parents wouldn't have been able to afford this, but her rich uncles were able to. Uh, another spot is that the dad... Um, they got divorced when Lauren was five. So basically, she had no, no relationship with her father after five years old. Right. And that, of course, he he inserts himself into the Lauren and Bogey relationship. But we'll, we'll get into that, yeah. I guess. Um, she started taking uh, acting lessons at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. Kirk Douglas was her classmate, and she would recall, you know, having kind of a crush on Kirk. 
Uh, and did but, she bring him a winter coat? Because he always dressed like not warm enough. And she, I think she once bought him a, or brought him a used winter coat or something. Um, but she was younger than him. And also she was an usher on Broadway. And guess who she met? Do you know who she met? Who did she meet, Grace? Gregory Peck, who thought she was so gorgeous and gave her much um, props saying this girl should go to Hollywood. And he ended up working with her in Designing Women. But I mean, if Gregory Peck says anything. Yes, I think he was a little smitten with our lovely Lauren. And Lauren was gorgeous. We cannot take that away from her. She was no. stunningly beautiful. No, she she definitely was absolutely gorgeous. And of course, because she is so gorgeous, she starts working as a fashion model. And in March of 1943, she appears on the cover of Harper's Bazaar. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the cover. Yes, is that the one for the uh, Red Cross? Yes. Yes. Um, She looks absolutely radiant. And it's actually one of my favorite pictures of Mm. Lauren. She just, she totally fits that 1940s glam look. Mm -hmm. And of course, she is spotted by Slim Keith, who at the time was married to director Howard Hawks. Slim goes to Howard and says, you have to find, you know, this girl. I think she would be great for your latest movie to have and have not. Hawks agrees and he tells his secretary to find out more about, you know, the mysterious cover girl on Harper's Bazaar. But the secretary misunderstands what Hawks was asking and she actually sent Lauren a ticket to come to Hollywood to audition for the role. Wow. So Howard didn't just get more information. He actually got the girl. Yeah, he wanted to mold. I read that he wanted to mold her and make her a star, and that would be his real star making thing. Yeah, he's kind of going into agent territory, which wasn't uncommon for the time. And he signs her to a seven year contract where she's paid $100 a week. And he says, I'm going to be your manager. Uh, he changes her first name to Lauren, and she decided to go with the last name Bacall because of her mother. And Slim actually gets involved and starts, you know, trying to tutor Lauren on how to dress stylishly and be elegant and manners and taste and, you know, everything. Uh, Hawks makes her go with an elocution coach. And she did have a Bronx accent, she said. Yeah, Lauren's voice was actually like high-pitched and nasally. Yes. And that funny. So I, did you ever hear you the can't imagine it. when she first started? It was like Minnie Mouse helium. And that's when they start smoking like mad people. Yeah. And, and that's always the thing. Oh, go smoke. It'll be better. You'll lower your voice. You won't be scared. Yeah, yeah. Definitely lowers your voice. Um, and of course, she is five foot eight and a half, which is very, very tall for an actress at this time. Yes. And, of course, it does layer create issues because Bogey is only 5'8". Is he really? You know, I read all these things where he's 5'10", 5'9". He's only 5'8". He's like a Tom Cruise size. Yeah. Which... for a movie yeah, no, yeah. which surprisingly I've actually heard that Tom Cruise is even shorter in person, but obviously I haven't met him, so I don't know. 
Uh, Lauren, you know, famously develops the look, mm-hmm. which is where she presses her chin against her chest, faces the camera and lifts her eye upwards. That becomes known as the look. Because she was so terrified. She said she was yes. so off, you know, she was so terrified and she didn't know how to do it. So she just did that. So her chin would start shaking and it just became famous. She became like this exotic goddess. Yeah, exactly. She becomes this like real sultry, you know. And I mean, she really does seem older than you know. Nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. yeah, she seems a lot older than that. But you know, she's just she looks great. If you see uh, pictures of her without makeup, though, and you see how young she is when she marries Bogey, she looks very young. She was a very young girl. She she was. It's amazing how makeup can really you know make you look older i guess uh three weeks into filming bogey kisses her and then he tells her to put her phone number on an old tattered box of matches that he has uh and she obviously does it and lauren recalls in her biography or her autobiography i should say that it was just torture waiting for him to call but he does eventually call and you know, they kind of start, they start having a little bit of a thing going on. They meet up um, in cars. They do on like little residential streets. Um, and they just, according to Warren, they just sit in the cars and they tell each other how much they love one another and how beautiful they both think the other one is. They and must just... smoochy poo as well. And maybe some heavy petting. <laughs> Excuse me, guys. It's kind of gross. I mean, they go to first base. Okay. Yeah, no, they uh, they they're definitely they're getting very close. We should say Howard Hawks is absolutely furious. Uh, he tells Lauren that she's basically throwing away her career, and Humphrey, you know, won't want anything to do with her after filming ends. And he also calls her a big drunk. He calls him a big drunk as well. Yes, and he tells her that he's going to send her to monograph pictures if she doesn't stop her affair with Bogey. Uh, monograph pictures, for those who don't know, was a Poverty Row studio and was considered the lowest of the low even amongst the Poverty Row studios. <laughs> That's so, cool. I, yeah. It, it's, it's definitely, you know, not... That's not where you want to go. Uh but Lauren's in love, you know, she says, this is the only time, you know, that I have been in love, you know, until that point, you know, I met Bogey, it was fabulous, I just knew that we were going to be together, and they have their ups and downs, he's worried about Mayo realizing that there's finally something going on between him and one of his co-stars. She was insanely jealous all the time, but he had never done anything. Uh, But this one, he obviously did. Well, you know, he also, I think, was very afraid of being with a 19-year-old girl, you know, because he's like, well, I read that they were both insecure that the other guy would leave them. Because he did go back to Mayo. He told her, you know, we have to stop this for a while. Mayo's trying to stop drinking. And when they did their second movie together, um, The Big Sleep, 
he told Lauren again he was going to try to make it with Mayo. Yes, he he goes back and forth with Mayo like three or four times. Yes. Uh, finally, by February of 45, though, he's like, I'm, I'm done with Mayo. Uh, and on February 2nd, Warren takes a train to Chicago and her relationship with Bogey is officially out. Mayo had been working with Bogey to, you know, figure out a divorce settlement. And Bogey's freaking out their relationships out, thinking that Mayo's not going to go to Reno to file for divorce like she had agreed to, but she she obviously did. Yeah. Uh, while they're in Chicago, Lauren meets Helen, Bogey's first wife, and she, you know, wishes them well. And just like Mary Phillips would later, she says, oh, I'm so glad that, you know, Humphrey has found somebody who makes him happy. You guys are obviously in love, you know, blah, 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 blah. Did you see some but, of the love letters he wrote her before they got married? I mean, they sound like, um, you know, like a 13-year-old in love. I am in love. You know, it was, they're very cute, but they're like very young. I don't know that he's he ever wrote a love letter before, but she saved them all, and they're very sweet love letters. But they don't. They are sound extremely like a, sweet. He doesn't sound like a big tough guy in him. You know, he sounds very vulnerable and very sweet. Oh no, they're they're absolutely fabulous. Um, also. Um, Lauren's dad pops back up around this time after he finds out she's really in a relationship with Bogey and he starts saying, Oh, I can't stand their age difference. Oh, I think, please. you know, Bogey's a gross old man, you know, blah, 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 blah. And according to Lauren, she had no idea if he was dead or alive. And she found out he was living in South Carolina because of these interviews he was giving. Pig. <laughs> uh, really? Shame on him. Most definitely. Um, In March, Mayo completes her residence in Reno so that she can, you know, get it. Well, I really say it should say so Humphrey can get a divorce from her. And on May 18th, 1945, Bogey and Bacall take the train to go to Ohio. Uh, because they're going to get married a few days later. And on May 21st, 1945, Bogey and Bacall finally marry at the Malabar Farm in Lucas, Ohio. And I have no idea where that is. Nor do I. But they were happy. And there's some beautiful wedding photos of them. And she's now 20. She's now 20. And he's... She is now 20. So I guess it's... Yeah. I, I guess it's a little more acceptable now that she's 20. Mm, that's so young, though, when you think about it, you know, I remember when I was 20 and I did have older guys, um, you know, wanting to go out with me, but I just couldn't even fathom it at 20 years old. I was like, ew. But um, I mean, like rich 45, 50 year olds. I'm like, ew. you know what I mean? That's what you mm-hmm. want your kid. I just didn't want that. But they did get married. And they settled into Holmby Hills, correct? They did, in a big white mansion. Uh, you know, and they're they're doing pretty well. Um, 
The Big Sleep got released in 1946, even though it was completed in 1945 because Warner Brothers had to put out their war movies, which is kind of understandable. Yep. And, you know, they they continue working together. In 1947, you see the release of Dark Passage, which for me is kind of a boring movie i know that's horrible but i like that one you know because it's um as somebody wrote you could see the the, because they only did four movies together i believe you could see Mm -hmm. the evolution of their romance in certain films that it was not so you know hot heavy hot heavy and then this one and um which is kind of a weird movie anyway and you don't even see him. How long? I mean, we don't see Bowie's face for half of the flick, right? Yeah, it's just, it's not my favorite film. It's kind of like a noir, but without being a noir, I don't know. I can't describe it. It's just, I think it's kind of a subpar script, but the two of them together, you know, overcome the weakness of the script. Yes, and they had Agnes Moorhead, who was fabulous. And, um, you know, I enjoyed it because I really didn't like the big sleep at all because of it's here, there, and everywhere, very convoluted. But that, and then they did their last film together, which was Key Largo, and that's my favorite film they did. And because it was like you see sort of this comfort level between them and this, I don't know, just this really, you know, it's not like hot and heavy, but it's love and it's, it's very understated. I thought that it is my favorite movie that the two of them do. I I really like Key Wargo. I think that was a perfect movie for their last, you know, collaboration on screen. My goodness. Of course, Edward G. Robinson's also in it. Um, I think it's a really great movie. I think he was, but like you said, you could see a more mature tone in their relationship. Yes. Yes. Um, And then, of course, on January 6, 1949, Lauren gives birth to Bogey's first child, as well as her first child, Stephen Bogart. Let's talk a little bit about the beginning, though, because when... Um, Lauren told him she was pregnant. He freaked out. He left and he stayed the night away. And if you read this woman, Vanita, whatever her last name is, my love story, his wig maker, she said that he came to her house like, oh, I don't want to have a kid. I'm too old to have a kid and whatever. But he came back to Lauren and said, I'm afraid that, you know, all your attention will go to the child and... You know, I'm sorry how I behaved. And it worked out okay. But, you know, that was his fear. I mean, he was no young guy. And to have a child at this point. um, I mean, he's almost 50. Yeah, it freaked him out, which you can kind of understand. And I I don't think he, Stephen Bogart told a story um, about being with his father. They were on some, I think they were on the Santana and, yeah, you know, he loved his children. I don't have a doubt about it, but he just didn't know how to, you know, he wasn't taught how to be a parent by his family. And he generally had lived 
you know, the lone guy, the lone wolf kind of life forever. And Stephen said, oh, yeah, then they all, uh, they brought like lobster, dead lobster shell, and it was just lobster shells they brought him to scare him and stuff. I'm like, what a story to remember about your father. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a barrel of laughs. But, um, you know, he had his problems as years went on. And I do believe that Bogey cheated with that Vanita broad whenever he needed to. But it was not I love. Mean, no, and I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. We'll, we'll just say that. Stephen said the same thing. Yeah, I just, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Lauren actually had a funny story, though. She, when she, she woke up the morning of January 6th, and she was like, you know, I think I'm going into labor. But she actually did not tell Bogey. She sent him off to work. And while she's sitting there timing her contractions, trying to figure out when she should go to the hospital, Sheila Graham called her and said, did Bogey ever have a child with another woman? Lauren says no, hangs up the phone, and she calls her doctor because her contractions are starting to come five minutes apart. So... Even in the middle of labor, Lauren was able to handle Sheila Graham. Sheila Graham, you guys might not know, she was a big-time um, Hollywood gossip columnist. And she also, there's a mo- movie with her and Gregory Peck, Beloved Infidel. And Gregory was um, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, who had an actual affair with her played by Deborah Kerr, but she was, uh, Sheila Graham was one of those gossip chicks. She, she was, um, she was also significantly younger than most of the other ones. So people kind of, I guess, felt a little more like in tune with her, uh, kind of an underrated woman, but she could definitely be catty. Uh, And, you know, as you said, Humphrey had, you know, had issues thinking, oh, the baby's going to, you know, take Lauren away from me. But he goes and he accepts his fatherhood. And Lauren would remember overhearing him on the intercom whispering to Stephen how much, you know, he loved him. How sweet. You know, just just a completely different, you know, thing. It'd be nice to see like that side of, you know, Bogey, but I don't think we ever really saw it. No. And he always had that, you know, it's like these horrible things when you read these tough guys like The Rock or somebody big like that. Or I remember Sylvester Stallone or mostly Bruce Willis because he would go to bars and say, "Okay, tough guy, take me on, you know, all these drunks. Mm-hmm. They just expect it. And they said that Bogey would get into a lot of fights, but the waiters were the ones who actually got in the middle <laughs> and fought them. You know, he would be drunk and rah, 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 rah. but yeah, the waiter saved the day. Yeah, no, no, waiters definitely saved the day, I think, for Bogey more times than he would have liked to have admitted. Um, if he had remembered, probably. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that's what a fair about, point. When did they make um, um, April? When did they make the African Queen? Nineteen fifty-one, if I remember correctly. So then Stephen was born when forty-nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, Lauren wrote about how much of a brouhaha it was when she left Stephen because she was going to be gone for all those months, and they made her sound like she was a beast. 
but she wanted to go with Bogart. And she left her son with, I don't know, maybe her mother and a nanny or other people. But she really got um, very bad press for going to the African Queen with Bogart. Yeah, but she was actually helpful on set. I mean, she, you know, she basically made herself the cook, the nurse, and the clothes washer of the set. Uh, and Bogie would recall uh, that Lauren was lux his undies in darkest Africa. <laughs> How romantic. <laughs> Most definitely. And of course, everyone except for Bogie and Houston uh, got dysentery. Dis- oh my gosh. Dysentery. Thank you. I can't talk right now. The runs. Diarrhea. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's because they ate canned food where everyone else was eating non-canned food. And they also drank so much, they repelled the mosquitoes. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm sure if you were a mosquito and you bit one of them, it would have just been yeah. pure alcohol. You would have been really alcohol poisoning. So those two were the only one who didn't get hit by it. Yeah, no, it's it was, oh, I, I, I can't imagine, to be honest with you. I um, just wouldn't want to go there. I just wouldn't, yeah. No, it, it sounds absolutely horrible. Uh, a year later, though, on August 23rd, 1952, Lauren gives birth to their second child, a little girl that they named Leslie Howard Bogart. Of course, she's named Leslie Howard after actor Leslie Howard, uh, who had been killed during the war when his plane was shot down. And also, he was a producer he did, um, uh, what's the name of that joint? The one, Duke Manti. Um, what's the name of that movie with Leslie Howard, Duke Manti? Oh, The Petrified Force. They did that on Broadway, and Leslie was producer of that on in Hollywood, and he insisted that Bogey play the part. So he really gave Bogey that huge boost that he needed because Duke Manti was a great character. Yeah, no, he, that definitely was a great part. And you're right. I mean, that's really what sets, you know, Humphrey on the road to stardom Mm -hmm. is his, you know, friendship with Leslie Howard and being in the petrified forest. Um, Humphrey's drinking really didn't subside at all during this time, though. Uh, He would continue to be an alcoholic really until he started to get super sick. Yeah, he would go out onto the Santana for days and do his thing. And, you know, in the beginning, Lauren is like us when we were very young girls because I don't do it anymore. Oh, I love football. Oh, I love sailing, even though I'm vomiting over the side of the rail. You know, <laughs> we do that stupid, oh, yes, I love it too. But, you know, once she was married, she didn't have to do that. So he did his own thing, and he, he just loved that boat. That was like, you know, his true love. If he didn't have another woman, that was his true love. And um, she would do whatever. She also said, because she was so young, he tolerated her flirtations and her crushes um and you can take that whatever way you want but she she loved you know she was big on Adelaide Stevenson whatever you know and I believe 
you know, Humphrey did have booty calls with that Vanita broad, but I think that it ended. She used to, as she said in her book, she slept with one of Humphrey's wigs under her bed. Oh my, Vanita. Really? Oh my. You know, it's just, it's so odd when you think about him cheating on, you know, Bacall, because there's such a, there's such a romantic story, but I do think in certain ways he needed somebody who was a little more mature. Older, and he could, I think she was his, not just his booty call, but his call about, I don't know if I can deal with this. I don't know. You know what I mean? She was like his Like mother, a shoulder to cry on. And drink with. And maybe mm-hmm. bang. Yeah, that's what I felt. And, um, you know, he always felt that. Lauren always said that he was jealous of Frank Sinatra because he felt Frank was in love with her. And Lauren said, well, he was in love with me. But um, we're not there yet. So he went into doing other films he did in A Lonely Place with his um, co-star was Gloria Graham, um, directed by... um, Nicholas Ray, right? Yep. And Bogey very much wanted Lauren to be his co-star. That didn't happen because he did want to co-star with her again. Um, But it was a, a, I don't know how much of a success it is, but it's a very popular movie today. Lauren did a movie, Bing, 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 How to Marry a Millionaire, which was a huge hit, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. with Marilyn and Betty Grable. And I love that movie. And I love the pictures of them at the premiere. Marilyn was with her and Bogey. And there's so many wonderful pictures of the three of them or the two of them or whatever. And I love that movie. That's one of my favorite Marilyn movies. And maybe one of my favorite Lauren movies. So... He was still working. He was coughing because he not only smoked like a sieve, he was dra- he drank like a maniac. Um, they had the Holmby Hills Rat Pack, and that's sort of where that came from, where it was Frank and um, Judy Garland. Judy Garland, Sidney Loft. Yeah, all those. Mike Romanoff. Yeah, and they just hang out, get drunk, laugh. Saying whatever. Yeah, and Lauren supposedly came in one day and said, you look like a goddamn Rat Pack. And so they started calling themselves the Rat Pack, with Sinatra being the pack leader, Bacall was the den mother, and Bogey was the director of public relations <laughs> of the Rat Pack. <laughs> uh, and Earl Wilson, of course, the name, you know, is used by all of them. And... Earl Wilson eventually calls up Lauren and is like, what's the purpose of the Rat Pack? And she just says to drink a lot of bourbon and stay up late. (laughs) So it's and I mean, that's just like their whole purpose. But like you said, Bogey's starting to get sick. Uh, In January of 56, Lauren finally persuades him to go to the doctor and they say, hey, we we're pretty sure you have cancer 
And on February 29th, 1956, Lauren takes him to the doctor's for surgery. Uh Um, They don't really know what they're going into when he has surgery the next day on March 1st, but but they end up having to remove his esophagus, a rib, and two lymph nodes. Uh, He is obviously doing pretty horribly. Uh, The surgery was unsuccessful and he had to go and have chemotherapy. And on November of 1956, they found out that the cancer had spread. Bogey was relegated to a wheelchair at this point, although he would like to make jokes if he could. And supposedly he said, put me in the dumb waiter and I'll ride down to the first floor in style because he could no longer walk up and down the stairs. So they did have to alter their home to accommodate his wheelchair. And didn't they make it? The dumb waiter, they made it bigger and he could come down like that. Mm-hmm. And he maintained, I believe Lauren had people coming over every afternoon, like cocktail hour. Bogey would, I don't know, drink or try to drink one cocktail. And um, Spencer Tracy came all the time. Catherine Hepburn, Frank Sinatra was always there. Um the only person, because she, she said, if you're going to go in there, I don't want you to cry. You haven't seen him. He's lost so much weight. I mean, I think he got down to like 80 pounds, which is like. Yeah, he got down to 80 pounds when he died. Pretty damn scary. So Clifton Webb went in there and he started bawling and she took him out of the room. But um, yeah, it's pretty shocking. And then he got too ill for that. And he went back up into his room not to have visitors again. Right until January 13th, the day before he dies in 1957, Frank Sinatra, Catherine Hepburn, and Spencer Tracy go up to visit him. And Hepburn would later say that Spencer patted him on the shoulder and said, good night, Bogey. And Bogey turned his eyes to Spence very quietly and with a sweet smile, covered Spence's hand with his own and said, good night, Spence. And she said Spencer would recall his heart standing still because he understood that was the last time he would see Bogey. And Bogey died the following day. Weren't they all asleep? They were, Lauren was, she used to spend every night in the room with him and she describes it just horrific how he, and I think because I've seen people die, that they're, they're claustrophobic. They pick at their clothes. They pick at themselves because they're, they're, they're like ready to leave their bodies and it's just all so weird. And she also said she had, there was a weird smell and it was the smell of decay and death. So... Mm -hmm. Um, She told the children, they went in there, they kissed the father earlier, but I don't know. I've read two stories. One, they went to church and he died then, or they were asleep and she woke up and she was told that he had died. Yeah, that's that's the version she recalls in her book, the latter one. She had apparently fallen asleep in the little, like, sleeping room they had next to their bedroom because he was in their bedroom on her side of the bed. And she was sleeping in the little side room, and the nurse came and woke her up and said that he had passed away. Yeah, and she was... 
the widow at 32 years old. He died. How old was he? He was six, uh, what, 60, was he 57? Yeah, he would have been 50, just turned 57. Yes. And um, Spencer Tracy, I believe, was supposed to read the eulogy, but he couldn't. He didn't. You're right. He couldn't because he was too upset. So John Houston had to do it. Yeah. And of course, everyone came to Bogey's funeral. I mean, it, Ronald Reagan, Betty Davis, Marlena Dietrich, James Cagney, Errol Flynn, Edward G. Robinson, Gregory Peck. I mean, Judy Garland, obviously Kate and Spence. I mean, everyone went to that funeral. How hard that must have been. And then, oh, this is a story I have to tell you. Um, I did a podcast with a woman who did like uh, poor, they weren't really stars, but they um, had some success in films and died tragically. And one was Mayo. And one thing that she discovered was where Mayo was buried every day. Flowers were delivered to her uh, where she was interred. And after Bogey died, they didn't come anymore. Interesting, isn't it? That is very interesting. She she checked and double-checked. She's a critic as well. So she, she really, you know, double-checked on it. And, of course, it couldn't say who. But, I mean, he always felt something for Mayo and felt... Uh, she had died when they were in Africa mm -hmm. and Lauren told him and he said she had so much talent. It's such a shame. It was such a waste. But she, I mean, who else would have sent those flowers and they stopped after Bogey died? I mean, I, I would say evidence points towards Bogey being the one who's sending the flowers. Yes. So she did, too. She wrote that. I mean, how else could it not have been? And he just must have made it, you know, just do it, made the, the, the flower schedule and just do it every day. And I thought that was very telling about him as well, that he was compassionate towards her, that he felt badly for her. Demise, and she was found in um, some hotel, and they didn't find her for a few days, uh, which is horrifying. But she was very young, and she died, of course, of um, cirrhosis and liver poisoning, alcohol poisoning. But I really like to hear that that he had that respect to do that for her. Yeah, stuff like that's always very telling of the person who's doing the action. Right. I'm sure Lauren McCall had no clue. I'm sure nobody had a clue. He did it privately. He did it how he wanted to do it. And um, it's interesting. Um, after Bogey died, you know, she was the widow with two sons. She very... Uh, promptly took up with Frank Sinatra. She did. And he actually had proposed to her, but when it came out, he dumped her. Yes. 
and never spoke to her again. And I was reading this thing. She said they were at some dinner together and she was just like a couple of seats down from him. And even if he looked down that way, he totally avoided her, didn't speak to her. And uh, yeah, she said he complete he behaved like a complete shit. But you know what? I can't ever see Frank and Lauren as a uh, as a couple ever. I, I can't either. It reminds me of the Eddie Fisher, Mike Todd was right. the Taylor situation. Yeah, he had hero worship for Bogart. He really loved Bogart. And I think he did have this, perhaps he thought he was in love with Lauren. It was like this infatuation. She was sad. He was dying. And, you know, people have said that she, you know, had, you know, Whatever. She was seeing Frank while Bogey was dying. Who knows? People will say it. But it was pretty quickly after Bogey died that she hooked up with Frank and she was being seen at his concerts and things like that. And Ava Gardner said, ah, he'd never been with that broad. I love her. (laughs) But Lauren went on. She moved back to New York. She had this great pad in the Dakota. And she married Jason Robards, who many people thought looked like Bogart. He was a huge alcoholic. Yeah, he, I mean, he looks a lot like Bogey. Yeah, she doesn't think so. I really think he does. Yeah, he he really does. And he, like you said, I mean, he has the same issues. He has alcoholism. Um, They do have a son together. Sam, who's absolutely adorable. And... You know, they're married for about eight years and then they got divorced and Warren said it's because of his alcoholism. Oh, um, great stories about them that in another podcast, I think I'm going to post this to you guys. Rick Lenz was one of the juiciest uh, guys <laughs> podcast. Give me so much scoop about everyone and himself. He doesn't make himself look perfect either. So I'm going to post that again because it's such a good one and people should listen to it. Anyway, uh, as we were saying, he does have a great Lauren because he did Cactus Flower with Lauren on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has a great story about Lauren and Lloyd Bridges and then her trying to get... uh, (laughs) Jason in to beat up on Lloyd Bridges. It's a very funny story. And very Lauren, because she was not, you know, a lot of people thought she was spoiled. She was young, and he he, he really showed her the ropes. She met all the most important people in Hollywood. He did a lot of wonderful things for her. And, right? Yeah. No, he... Um, Lauren was somebody it's very odd because after Jason she doesn't remarry she wanted to she wanted to because if you read her bio her autobiography when it first came out I don't know maybe she was 52 or something 51 and she was sort of downplaying no man wants to think that they have to compete with bogey we had a marriage and guess what it was a marriage she didn't romanticize it as much as she did in the later years when she realized she'd never get married again Mm -hmm. because she wanted to make like hey dude if you're out there you know, don't be afraid. Here I am. Yeah, but, you know, they were afraid. So it never happened after yeah. after Jason. She was alone for years and years and years. 
Yeah, I mean, she she never remarries after Jason. Um, I and she passed away not too long ago in 2014. Yes, and she was staying in the Dakota, and she did a lot of shots. I got to give her credit. She did no makeup shots when she was like 87 and whatever. And um, you know, I know people who worked on Broadway with her. I've heard terrible stories. I really don't want to tell them. But I know they're true because I know the people who have told me them. And also the Rick Lenz story. Lauren was not an easy broad. She really wasn't. She was not. um, She didn't suffer fools gladly. Let's put it that way. And she didn't suffer maybe even nice people gladly. (laughs) She was a tough broad. And she survived. And she was, how long? Like she divorced what? Like 69 or something? Yeah. So that's 31. She was alone for 45 years. She married the love of her life at 19 years old. And somebody was pondering in one of the articles, who knows, had he lived, would she have stayed with the aging bogey when she was only 32 years old, 33, 34? That's a story we never know. I mean, I tend to think she would have. I do, too. I mean, it had to be extremely difficult to see him get down to 80 pounds. Oh, my I mean, God. If she could oh stay with Lord. him through that, I, well, I don't think. If, if you love somebody, you also she was under public display. Imagine, like, if you're in the public and you say, oh, I, I can't stay with Bowie because he's only 80-something pounds. <laughs> she would have been vilified. So, but she did love him and she had two children with him. So I do believe she wouldn't have left him. Even if she was an unknown person, she wouldn't have. You don't leave somebody in their time of need like that unless you're, you know, some horrible. And it's generally the men who do it. You know, you don't leave someone who needs you so much. And I think they did have a beautiful love story. And look at them. They had it all. Just like Bogey and Bacall, Key Largo. <laughs> I hate that song. I hate you guys. But you know what? It is cute how they mentioned their name. What do you think, April? Most definitely. Oh, I, I think they would have stayed together. I think she would have been with him. You know, I wouldn't have been surprised if she had, you know, like another kid with him at some point. Um. I think they would have stayed together until he passed away, even if it had been 30 years later. I believe so, too. I believe they had a beautiful love story. And as she said, it was a marriage. It was not a fairy tale. They had their ups and downs, like everybody who was married. She said he had to be patient with her because she was so young. And it was funny because I read this Vanita Broad, who was Bogey's booty call and perhaps confessor, that he could trust her. Um, she would criticize Lauren. Oh, look at her. She's, she she said, oh, she only liked the boat, you know, until she got married. And then they didn't. Well, welcome to the world of broads who are very young. <laughs> you know, we do. Mm-hmm. Didn't you do that too? Oh, I love that too. When I was very young, I did it. And I didn't love it. But, and then, you know, she also said that, um, He always wondered, but she was a young girl, and they went to Washington together. That was a big thing. 
And, you know, for the, for the um, communist stuff, for the... Uh, House of Un-American Activities. HUAC, right. And when Bogey got back, nothing happened to him because he said he made a mistake. Because he was too big a star, they didn't want to lose him, and he just said, I made a mistake. I, I wasn't really up on my stuff. But, um, you know, that's what happens. You want to work. They were destroying people. I'm going here from there. But his children never really knew him. Stephen wrote a very good book. Did you read it? I do. I actually have it on my bookshelf. Yeah, it's a very good book. Um, and he's a very uh, interesting character. Leslie was a nurse for the longest time. She never did any of the... Uh, the, um, you know, Key Largo stuff that Stephen did, the festival. And now she is a yoga teacher and she is at peace and she just never made herself um, public. Yeah. Which I can't say I blame her. I can't no. imagine being a bogey and Bacall child. No. And she said one time she did it with Stephen a couple of years ago. And she said, how do you do this every year? That was her one and only time. She ams great. Anyway, they, they left a wonderful legacy. They left something that people could look at and say, I know they loved each other. And I do know they loved each other. I really feel it deep in my bones. And... They left two beautiful children, and they have oh, and then she had her Sam, and she has grandchildren, and he has grandchildren, and um, the likes of them we'll never see again. Absolutely agree. So um, they are our second love story, and I think they had a beautiful one, and. Um, he respected her. She respected him. Oh, what I was saying about Vanita. She was saying, oh, she would complain to Bogey. Oh, look at all the money she's spending. Look at this. And then he would say to her, he would t always defend Lauren. Like, shut your trap, sister. He said, she does all right. And, and she doesn't do anything. I, if I didn't like it, I would tell her no. So, you know, people would try to badmouth Lauren. But he always protected her. She was always, you know, he wouldn't let people talk badly about her. And she died. When did she die? Tell us, April. Lauren? Mm-hmm. Oh, in 2014. And she was, what, 89? Yeah. Somewhere around there. And she was pretty with it. She was still doing interviews. She was still doing whatever. And, um, and she was a strong woman. And yes, she could be really tough and crude because I know a lot of stories from people who work in the theater when Lauren was around and also from the one I'm going to post. But, you know, she learned from the best. She had a guy. How lucky is that? Your first love who introduces you to everything and and helps you grow. She got to spend over a decade with him. Twelve years. And I think she... Uh, she did pretty damn good, and so did he. Mm-hmm. So I love their love story, and this is part two of iconic love stories of classic Hollywood with my lovely April Vivier. Say your new name. <laughs> April Vivier Whitaker. 
and she will always be April VVA to me. <laughs> Maple. So thank you, April. April. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks, April.